dissonance. It's when something's not really meeting to the standard it should be, when something's not right. Have any of you ever experienced dissonance? Oh. (laughs) That's a yes. It doesn't just happen in music. It happens when you go to the doctor, and you think you're healthy. And then they say, we got some things to do here. That's dissonance. You're here, you're supposed to be here. Uh, when you have, when you're examining your relationships like we should all do, and we think something's not right with my friend, with my spouse, with my partner, this isn't exactly right. There's dissonance, there's a little sound wave. It's off, I'm not experiencing what this should be. You're not as close as you were, you're drifting. Dissonance is when you hear information that challenges the old information that you've known for so long and you thought was correct. For instance, when they used to tell us that eggs were bad for you, and now eggs are fine. Or when, when they say, medical community seems to change their mind a lot, something's good, but three years from now, it'll be okay. It's not as bad as we thought. That's dissonance. Recognizing the dissonance in our lives, not just in, in, in music, but the dissonance that we feel in our lives is crucial if we ever want to experience change. We will only experience change once we see the dissonance, once we recognize it, once we turn from it, and once we reform ourselves, then the dissonance actually plays a part in our lives and it spurs us to be better. Another word for dissonance is the word revelation. Something has been revealed to you that something in your life is not correct. We see this all through Scripture. People are going through life and they think they're doing it the right way and then they have an encounter. They experience dissonance and then they change. And then, but today in our, in our, uh, in our study, there's the story of Josiah. He experienced dissonance. And in the story, there's a short little section of, from a woman called Huldah who explains the dissonance to him. We're in the middle of our series uh, about the women of Scripture and Huldah, though she plays a, a small role in Scripture, the effect of her in calling out the dissonance in Josiah's life has a massive effect in the nation of Israel. But the first thing that, Josiah hap- that happens to Josiah is revelation. The first step of any change is realizing that you need to change. It's seeing the dissonance in your life. Here's what happened to Josiah. He knew that something wasn't, wasn't right. And so in 2 Kings 22, in your bulletin it says 1 Kings. That's my fault. It should say 2 Kings. Uh, We don't know much about what was going on with him. We do know that it was a good time for Israel. They were rebuilding the temple. Money was flowing in. They had a lot of income. The economy was doing well. And so what they did is they decided they're going to remodel the temple. And while doing that, they demolished part of it. And they found something in the foundations of the temple. They found some scrolls. Usually, sometimes, the, the uh, previous rulers or the officials of the temple would hide certain things in the foundations of their buildings as a way of saying, this is what our story is rested upon. We don't know, how, we don't know who put these scrolls in the bottom of the building. We just know that they were found. And when they were found, they were immediately brought to Josiah. So it's not uncommon that they would find things. One time I was doing a, a remodel for my dad and his, his company, and we were doing this old 1920-something house in Anaheim. And my dad looked at me and said, guess what, Brad, you get to go in the crawl space. Crawl spaces are really tight for a person like this. 
And I think he was just trying to mess with me. Uh, and so I'm crawling down there and I find this old bundle thing. I found the sewage line I was working for. But then I looked over in the corner and I saw this old bag. And I crawl over to the old bag and I bring it up and I hand it to my dad. And then I squeeze out of there. And he opens it up and it's this old flag that had 48 stars on it. And so sometime between, what, 1959 and 1912. When they had, but in the foundation, there was this old thing. And my dad, he looked at it and he went, wow, this is what happened. This, and he, for him, it triggered all sorts of memories. So they're doing a remodel in the temple and they find this old scroll. And Hilkah, the, the high priest, comes and says, hey, Josiah, we found this. They didn't find a flag. They found uh, the first five books of our Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Here's what happened, 2 Kings 22, verse 8. Hilkah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors of the temple. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. We don't know how long they've been there. We don't know how old these, these books were. But they read it to them. It, was kind of, it seems kind of like an afterthought. Oh, by the way, we found this. And let me, let me read it to you. And what Josiah heard reminded him of the history of his people. He heard Genesis, where, they, where everything started, Exodus, that when they left the land and they took over the promised land, he heard the law, he learned how the land was divided, and then he heard Moses' last words. And in that, he was reminded of where he, was come, where he had come from. Josiah was eight years old when he took over the throne. Now scholars put him about 18. And so he learned in this, in this time how far Israel had drifted from what they were intended to be. This is Josiah experiencing dissonance. In this case, he's experienced where they were, what they've come from, and then he looks out his window and he sees where they are now. Things aren't matching up well. He saw the dissonance. And usually when we experience this kind of revelation or with this kind of dissonance, our first reaction, at least mine, is to meet it with resistance and go, well, that's that, that's that story. That's not necessarily our story. This is, this is a long time ago. Josiah doesn't do that. He responds to the dissonance. Dissonance creates something in you, something that you have to, re- you, have, you want to respond to it. Jesus used dissonance when he taught. He's taught about the kingdom of God, but when he said the kingdom of God is this way, it was always in response to the way that they were currently living. So he says, you've heard it said in Matthew 5, 27, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks lustfully at, at a, has, has already committed adultery in their heart. And he says it again, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them also and turn to the other cheek. This is dissonance. You are used to it, this way of doing things. But I'm telling you there's a better way to do things. It's sort of like when you realize there's an easier way to get to Fred Meyer than the one you've been taking. Sometimes it's a breath of fresh air. Sometimes it's easier. Sometimes you're like, wow, Third Avenue is actually faster. There's not as much lights. 
Sometimes it gets met with resistance, but I always take 15th. Why would I go anywhere else? This is dissonance and responding to it. This is what Jesus was saying. It's a, to some, it's fresh air. To others, it's fighting words. We experience it today when you try to get someplace new using a different way or when we're trying to put something together from Ikea. How many of you use the instructions right out of the box? Quitters. You don't know that you're supposed to try it without the instructions and then go back and change? Dissonance. I've tried putting together my dresser and now I'm on hour four. This isn't working correctly. These Swedish people are really messing with me. Dissonance is going back to the instructions and going, oh, that's the way I'm supposed to do it. To some, dissonance is very apparent. To others, it's very subtle. When we read Scripture today, we see these places where Jesus and Scriptures are calling us to be different than the places that we're used to be, in the ways that we're used to be living. In places like our financial choices, in places with our sexual choices, our thoughts, some of our voting patterns, maybe the way we offer forgiveness, mercy, justice, all of these places where we're used to one way and one way of life, but Scripture calls us to a different way of life. That's dissonance. Scripture's calling you to a new way. That's revelation. And if we ever have any chance of lasting change in our lives or in our neighborhoods, we have to be open to revelation, open to seeing dissonance, and open to changing towards it. When we change towards it, it's a way of repentance. Dissonance is when we experience an invitation to change, and whether we accept it or not is whether we continue towards transformation or we stay in the same wrong patterns. We experience dissonance. Josiah hears the scroll. He hears his story, and then he's faced with the decision, do I change or do I keep going down this path? His revelation leads him to his response. He changes. He says, this isn't right. Receiving revelation and responding to it are two separate things. I can tell you you're doing something wrong. Or we can all look at the instructions and say, this isn't wrong. But whether you obey it and whether you go back to the instruction booklet for your dresser and actually put your dresser together the right way, or you can go about it the other way. You can have all the dissonance, all the revelation in the world, but if you ignore it, you'll never change. You can talk about uh, changing. You could say, yeah, I should be doing it this way. Yes, I should eat more salads, but I don't. I can talk about it all the time, but until we actually respond to it, until you actually make the change, you're not really doing anything with the revelation that you're receiving. We can talk about it and be superficial about it, but when we do that, we're pretty worse off than we were when we received the revelation in the first place. Knowing you're doing something bad for you, and then continuing to do that thing that's bad for you, you're worse off than you were. Better to claim ignorance, but once you've been made aware, you should change. This is what Josiah does. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Tearing your robe in ancient tradition was, among, was something that Jews did when they were uh, heartbroken. It was an outward expression of what's going on in their lives. It, it, it meant that he was a, it was a sign of mourning. He had sadness over the state of his nation. He reads the text, and immediately the things come to mind. It's likely that, that towards the end of Deuteronomy, here's what he probably would have heard. In Deuteronomy 28, 
he hears this. These are the words of Moses. It says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all of, all of his commands I give to you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. And the blessings will come on you and you will accompany, accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. But it doesn't end there. It goes more. There's, there's the other way. If you don't, Moses gives the people, or God gives the people a choice. You can go this way, and there will be blessing. You can follow the way that you're supposed to, with, with the cord lining up, and the way that we're supposed to live. Or you can go the other way, and it says in verse 15 of 28, However, if you don't obey the Lord your God, and do not carefully follow his commands and the decrees I'm giving you today, all the curses will come on you, and overtake you. You will be cursed in your city, cursed in your country. Your basket and kneading trough will be cursed. So they're faced with a choice. You can either choose to follow God or choose not to. And God puts that in front of them and says, your pick, however you want to go. And then he says this in Deuteronomy 30. This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. When they would make a covenant, there was always two witnesses. We get that in marriage. There's two witnesses, uh, maid of honor, best man. Uh, and here, the witnesses to this covenant are heaven and earth. Today, I call heaven and earth as witnesses. And then he says this, choose life so that your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to you, your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They have a choice. Which way are they going to go? Josiah is reading this, and he looks back and goes, Oh, we went the wrong way. We didn't choose life. This is him experiencing the dissonance, and how is he going to respond to it? Chances are you and I have gone through something like this. For Josiah, he's looking back over hundreds of years of them gradually stepping away. It wasn't the, the thing, as soon as they get in the land, immediately they turn to idols. It was a gradual step away from what was called out for them, what the story they were supposed to be living into. It was probably a one, one, degree, chance, one degree change over decades. But one degree and one degree and one degree, decades, centuries later, and they're miles off from what they're supposed to be. They're supposed to worship the Lord, follow his decrees. Josiah looks out his window and he sees in the temple there's idol worship. He sees child sacrifices. He sees that they have drifted so far off that they're miles from what they were called to be. And he decides it's, this is enough. Instead of doing what you and I would probably do, let's just say me, and wiggle out of it and say, well, there's nothing we can do now. It's fine. That was then. We're here now. Let's just not get any worse, right? Josiah says this isn't the way we're supposed to live. He responds to the dissonance. So he takes the book. And this is where we meet our friend Holda. Holda, uh, don't name your child Holda, it means weasel. But he takes the books and he takes himself and they go to Holda. Holda was a prophetess 
in the time of Jeremiah, there was Jeremiah and a couple other prophets, and then there was Huldah. She stayed under the gate. She, she had a college for women to teach them. And so he, he goes to this, uh, to this woman prophetess. In, in the scriptures, there's seven women prophetesses that have these major signposts for the people of Israel. Huldah is one of the last ones we see before the Assyrians come in. There's Sarah, Rahab, Deborah, Esther, Hannah, Abigail, and then Huldah. Uh, from this, from these, you see the announcements of kings. You see a change in, in how God uh, dealt with the people. You see them uh, defeating oppressors with Deborah, and now with Huldah, this is their chance for reform. There's not much said about Huldah. But what is said uh, in these limited verses instituted one of the most massive changes in Israel. Huldah's sermon is short, but it's met with a response. She hears Josiah. She hears what's happening. And instead of going, I told you so, like what most people would expect, she says this. She She gives him two prophecies. She said to them, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Tell the man Who sent you to me? This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people. According to everything written in the book the king of Judah has just read. Because they have forsaken me. They have burned incense to other gods. And aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place. And it will not be quenched. They've turned away. Because of this there's going to be consequences. Whenever you turn away from God, you inevitably will turn towards something else. It's always an ism. It's materialism. It's nationalism. It's individualism. It's racism. It's pantheism. It's cynicism. It's sensualism. It's an ism. Whenever you turn away from God, you're turning towards something else. And the people of Israel have turned away from God. And this is what they're warned about in Deuteronomy. Don't do this. You're going to have a choice. They did it. They turned towards an ism. And God said, okay, this is what you have chosen to do. And because of this, God is going to remove his protection around the people of Israel. And they're going to be taken over and taken into exile. Deuteronomy said, stay in the faith. Stay connected to the God who created them. But the people became focused on the wrong things. And when the wrong thing is the reference point, you will always end up in the wrong place. When the reference point for your health is always something that's unhealthy, you will always end up unhealthy. Jeremiah warns this in Jeremiah 7. He says, basically, don't be blind to your sickness. He says in Jeremiah 7, 4, don't trust the deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. He keeps going in verse 5. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, If you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, do not shed innocent blood. And if you do not follow other gods to your own home, to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors, forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in the deceptive words that are worthless. Do you see the if-thens that are happening through this? Choose life. If you do this, I'll let you live here forever. But you are trusting in the deceptive words. You are missing your reference point. You're seeing the dissonance and you're not addressing it. 
This tells us one thing, tells us a lot of things, but one of the things is we need to align ourselves with God's heart and God's revelation. We can have all the revelation in the universe. We can know the right thing, but if we don't change, all the revelation that we've had is pointless. If we receive revelation and we recognize the dissonance and we do nothing, one, we don't care, and two, we don't really believe it. If something is important to you, when it's pointed out, you'll change. When the doctor comes back with a report and says, you need to change, if you really cherish living, you will. At home, Carrie will come to me and say, hey, the trash is full, and I'm watching the NFL draft. Just hypothetically, this never happens. And I'm watching the draft, and I go, yeah, okay, I'll fix it. And then I keep watching, and the trash continues to pile up. It wasn't important to me. But when I walk in my house the next day and she's been gone all day at a wedding and and I have the boy with me and I walk in and I'm faced with the smell. Now it's important to me. I'll do something about it. When the dissonance is given to you and you really cherish what the dissonance is, you'll respond immediately. So it begs the question, when God gives you revelation and if that revelation is important to you, will you change? Has God given you revelation? Have you experienced dissonance and you keep putting it off? It's not that big of a deal. I'll manage. We do this with addictions. I'll manage my addiction. We do this with the person that we don't really like but we tolerate. I don't need to have that hard conversation. They bother me, but whatever, I'll sit on the other side of the table. We do this every time. We respond to the things that are most important to us. Josiah responds. For Josiah, he saw the slow drift and he said, this isn't right. There was a second prophecy that Holda gave. She said, tell the king who sent, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord God of Israel says concerning the words that you've heard. Because your heart was responsive, because you've humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I've heard you. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see the disaster that's coming onto this place. In other words, since you saw yourself in the collective sins and you actually did something about it, I'm going to give you what the text says here, peace. I'm going to give you peace. He ends up dying. It's not that he got away from everything. It's not that he scapegoated. In in Chronicles, we see how he dies. Uh, He dies in battle. But when he dies, he was collected to his ancestors, which is a nice way of saying, you're going to be okay. It's a nice way of saying, you're going to die in peace because he responded to the dissonance. He responded to revelations. Now, Hulda's words are powerful, but in her words, we find a model for our own. That's what I mean when I said that. When, it, when I would probably be in Hulda's shoes, I'd go, yeah, I told you about this. You're getting what you deserve, but she doesn't do that. Hulda offers grace. She says uh, this, she graciously affirms him, yes, there's going to be consequence for this. Because that's what the deal was. But in that, there's still grace. Josiah, because you have responded to this, you will receive 
peace. She shows grace and mercy. Imagine if she would have come and said, yeah, you're toast, buddy. Do you think Josiah would have responded the way he does in the next chapter? And we'll get to that. Her grace and her response enabled Josiah to come up with the reforms that he did and changed Israel because of her words. When I used to screw up in high school a lot and I'd come home late for curfew, breaking the rules, dad would always be awake and he would always respond to me with grace. But there was always a thing that would have, yes, Brad, you messed up. That means you don't get the car. One time I backed into my mom's car with my truck because I was late and he said, okay, grace, you can still live here. (laughs) Responsibility. You're going to pay the deductible. There was grace to that. Hulda shows grace, but she also says there's responsibility. The part of the deal, Josiah, was that we stayed connected to it. We didn't do that. So there's going to be some things that happen to it. The grace invites a relationship. When someone comes to you and they start telling you all the things that you know that they've done, Maybe it's that one relationship that you have all the conflict. If you meet that, uh, that conversation with rejection, if you meet it with I told you so, if you meet it with hostility, what happens to your relationship? It dwindles. It goes away. But when you meet it with grace, when you say, yeah, this really hurt, grace doesn't have to not, not be honest. You can be gracious and honest about things. Josiah is, hold us very honest with Josiah. Yes, this has happened. This hurt. When that grace is offered, you see a life changed. Grace is offered to Josiah and he changes. Because of the, the grace that Holda offered Josiah, he puts the greatest reforms in. It goes from dissonance that he sees when he reads the scriptures. He changes, he repents. And then he goes to reform. If you turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings 23, first thing he does is he calls everyone together and he reads the Pentateuch out loud to them. The same thing that changed him, he shares with the entire nation. Everyone hears it so everyone can change. In John chapter 4, Jesus is having a conversation with a woman at the well and she's hiding from her whole city because she's done some things. And Jesus is sitting next to her And he starts chatting with her. And then they get in a conversation. Pretty soon, she realizes who Jesus is. And she goes back to her entire town. And she brings everybody back and says, I want you to meet the man who told me everything about me. And that whole town was changed. It's the same thing that's happening in Josiah here. He says, guys, the whole nation comes together. You've got to read this. We found this. We're in some deep water. Come, let me show you everything that where we should be. Let me show you everywhere we've gone wrong. Josiah responds in the same way the woman at the well responded. And in verse 23 of chapter 3, the king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all of his heart and his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant. And then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Josiah's leadership, Josiah's response, and then his reform were all because 
Huldah gave him grace and said, you, we can change this. The grace transformed the world for him. They weren't just words for Josiah. He acted. He removed the idols. He tore, down them. He tore, almost, tore them all down from the high places. If you read through First, Second Kings 23, he looks out the window and he destroys the, the articles for Baal and Asherah. And then he goes on and he, he takes them outside the city walls and burns them. He goes to the desecrated high places uh, where the priest burns incense and he broke down their shrines. He desecrated the topeth uh, in the valley of Ben-Hinram. You know where that is. So that no one can use it to sacrifice their son or daughter to Molech. He sees, he goes, this isn't right. We're going to take it out. This isn't right in the nation. We're going to take it out. He goes systematically and says, none of these places belong here. And they're causing our sickness. And so we're getting rid of it. It seems harsh, right? Especially in our uh, passive-aggressive city of Seattle. Just let it be, man. It's fine. No, these things are causing the problem in his country. And instead of just tolerating them, he says, they have no place here. Two years ago, I really jacked up my leg at the gym. And uh, I've told this story before. I was trying to jump on a box about that high. I shouldn't do that. And I banged my shin. And I thought, ah, it just, it'll heal. It'll be fine. Uh, a couple weeks later, it had gotten bigger and more red. And Carrie said, ah, just let it air out, Brad. It'll be, it'll be fine. She has more medical experience than I do. So I thought, oh, maybe she's right. Finally, I go to the doctor. And the doctor takes one look at my leg and goes, whoa. And he gives me a shot, and then he sends me to uh, wound therapy or whatever it is. And the next day, so he didn't even wait for the referral. He says, you have an appointment. Go get this taken care of. They looked at my leg, and the first thing they did was they took a wound that was about that big, and they made it the size of a half dollar. They had to cut out all of the places that were causing my infection. This is gross to some of you. I'm really sorry. But it was awesome. And if you want pictures, I got them. Um, and then they had, to, they had to dig out all of the places that were causing the problem in my leg. It's the same thing here. In order to be healthy, in order for there to be healing, it had to get rid of all the junk in their, in, in their lives. In order for there to be healing in the land, they had to tear down all of the places that were causing the sickness. In, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ which means that we have to do battle with the places in our lives that are causing us sickness. We have to do battle with our addictions instead of just managing them. We have to get help, have to address them. We have to do battle with our lust for possessions instead of being owned by our possessions. We have to do battle with our individualism, our bitterness, our lack of forgiveness. We can't let places go unattended because infection tends to spread. Instead of managing or medicating or accepting or ignoring the dissonance, we have to be people who fix it in our lives. Josiah restores. Josiah turns. He hears the revelation. He responds to it. And then at the end of uh, 2 Kings 23 and verse 21, he says, Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Neither in the days of the judges 
who led Israel, nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah had any Passover been observed. Josiah brought everyone back and said, this is what our God has done for us. Passover was, was an observance of being taken from bondage to being set free in the promised land. And he said, we were in bondage to all of these idols. Now we are being set free. Josiah sees the dissonance. He responds to it. He reforms and then he celebrates it. Today, where's the dissonance in your life? Where's the revelation that God is saying, here's a problem, we need you to fix this. Maybe it's God talk, tugging on your heart, maybe the Holy Spirit's been working saying, yeah, I need to address this, and you've been ignoring it. Maybe it's a relationship, and it's just not working out. Maybe it's in your marriage, and you just aren't seeing eye to eye on things anymore, and things are getting rough. Maybe it's time to address the dissonance. What are the strongholds in your life uh, that the idols are possessing? Is it pride? Is it arrogance? Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe, you've, maybe the dissonance is you don't see yourself as God sees you. And you have the lowest self-esteem you could ever imagine. The dissonance is seeing yourself as a child of God who is loved and then coming to life knowing that you are loved by God and there's nothing that can take that away from you. Today, may we respond to the dissonance. What are the practices that need to be restored in our lives? May we be a people who are defined by responding to God's revelation. What if, instead of being Christians who are, who are known for what we stand against, what if we actually are known for what we stand for? about what God stands for, the dissonance between what people think about us and what we actually are. What if we were known for our love and for our grace? Because that is precisely who our God is. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us, that you show us the places where we're lacking, and then you leave it to us to change. You don't change us. You are polite. You are gracious, and you say, if you want to do this and experience grace and mercy, here you go. But if you don't, you can choose that way. And so, Lord, we pray, I pray, that we respond to your invitation, that we respond to your dissonance, that we resolve the broken notes in our lives, the places that are missing we come back and we are known for your grace your mercy and your love because it's on display in the way we live in Jesus name